वेलकम 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 टू द ट्वेल्थ एपिसोड ऑफ पाइंट्स ऑफ फुटबॉल वी आर बैक आफ्टर अ स्लाइटली लॉन्ग हाइटस प्राइमरीली बिकॉज हिमांशु वॉज रिकवरिंग एंड आई वॉज शिफ्टिंग हाउसेज स्टार्ट विथ योर रीजन फर्स्ट इट वॉज मोर यू डेंट हैव द वॉइस टू पॉडकास्ट की रिक्वायरमेंट बट अगेन इन द टाइम दैट वी वेंट बाई सो मच इज हैपन्ड the premier league title race was officially decided with manchester city emerging as the league champions on the other hand bayern munich and borussia dortmund decided to switch roles with bayern choking in the second last game of the season by going down to rb leipzig 4-1 or rather 3-1 i think and as we are recording this podcast dortmund are playing and wait a minute dortmund are actually choking i can't believe this dortmund are losing 2-0 to mainz at half time at home I think we just have to probably just reshape this podcast and we should just do a live recording <laughs> of the game yeah but yeah it's entirely possible now that Bayern and Dortmund have again gone back to the usual roles with Dortmund choking and Bayern winning 1-0 against FC Cologne at half time wow i i my my thought process is totally gone <laughs> so just to recap until the 35th game of the season Bayern Munich were leading they lost 3-1 to RB Leipzig which handled the win to Borussia Dortmund they were leading the Bundesliga going into the final game of the season and now Bayern are leading against Cologne 1-0 away from home while Borussia Dortmund are losing 2-0 at home to Mainz this has to be the biggest bottling i mean Arsenal what did Arsenal even bottle and we'll definitely check into the score as we go through our podcast this has gone completely haywire but yeah coming back to the script coming back to the script also in, in football crazy land Juventus point ban was reinstated not 15 but 10 points now with the result that they will be missing champions league europa league and conference league uh, qualifications and finally to keep himamshu happy manchester united has finally closed the top 4 race they will definitely be in the champions league next season if there ever was a doubt right i always said <laughs> that we will qualify ah uh, yeah and I'm... newcastle also have We're going to play in the Champions League for the, for the for the first time. I don't know in how long. But Since the Alan Shearer time, so that's long enough. That's long enough. I think none of us were watching Premier League football, and Shearer had hair back then. What do you have to say about City? Very disappointed, obviously, as a United fan, that City have done it. But I'd rather have them than Arsenal. Uh, but it's brilliant. It's fantastic what Pep has built over this season. If he does achieve the treble. it'll be great he'll definitely i will have to admit that he is de- better than sir alex ferguson <laughs> although like i would say that you probably agree he already is uh, but treble is something he hasn't achieved and he already has everything that he needs to have to achieve the treble so premier league in the back and two more pro- trophies to go and they're pretty much favorites to do that as well i think what has made city's win this season so special has been the fact that it's it has not been perfect right this has not been the usual season where city and liverpool were you know taking each other down to the wire or city looked imperious yes they have amassed almost the same number of points as last season but it until halfway or let's say till game week 23 of the season it seemed like manchester city would reach nowhere close to this tally but post game week 23 they've gone on a 15 match unbeaten run where they had 13 wins and two draws and they completely took this title away from arsenal and this is when arsenal were not playing in the champions league when when man city had to play face real madrid of all teams and man city have done it in this kind of a schedule so 
hats off to them and let's not mention i mean pep guardiola this season let go of cancelo who was an important part of his team he had had to deal with injuries there were times when he was dropping kevin de bruyne bernardo silva who seems like such a big fixture of manchester city this season has started only 24 games grealish who seems impeccable now has started only 23 games uh, even gundogan has started 27 games so it's not like like pep has had to evolve this team uh, all across the season but i think the story of the or where this league completely flipped was in the second half of the season because in the first 20 games of a possible 60 arsenal had picked up 53 points and then in february they dropped 8 points in 3 games in april they lost 3 uh they they dropped they drew 3 and lost once so in april they didn't go they went without a win they dropped 9 points and on the other hand you know city went on that 15 game unbeaten streak and completely changed the season not to mention the fact that they beat arsenal twice it all went wrong for arsenal when it should have gone right and city truly yes, became this juggernaut that we know they are capable of becoming isn't it gary neville called it right so exactly how he he's obviously a big veteran of winning the premier league he just felt like you know there was something that arsenal would kind of given they don't have the experience to take the pressure at the end of the season almost exactly what he said happened and uh, yeah man city were pretty much perfect at least they were better than arsenal at the end of the season yeah. and i think the not all even him mumsho i think about city putting pressure on arsenal right? because city were far off it's like arsenal almost like dug their grave and they made that point gap so so much unlet they, they invited that pressure on them towards the end of the season it should have never gone i mean you can't drop 17 points in a span of 3 months when you're leading the league by so it's it's unbelievable but it's a development season for arsenal right i'm sure they'll come back better next season or two more seasons hence and probably pose a proper challenge right now it's a young squad it's a, it's an amazing experience for them to have gone so close to winning the season i'm sure they'll come back better especially when they have players you know, see, for that's like, where i disagree i mm-hmm. i don't think this will ever happen again arsenal I mean, just look at the squad right now. I mean, players. I think there are a lot of players you and I will agree just overperformed. Thomas Party, ever since April began, Party has just not recovered. So it's not like even after losing to City towards the end of the season, Party is picking up. Do we really think Ben White is going to be that staunch man in defense? Who's going to be the uh, be I the backbone of the team? I know. I'm just saying it's it's development, right? So they they know what's worked for them, what's not worked for them. For example, for Partey, they might get a Declan Rice who's more consistent and will probably deliver for a few more seasons than Partey and be more. But consistent. with Partey now, you have Jorginho. Jaka is leaving the club. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jorginho biases in, in the center. I'm not saying that's my point. Jorginho, I think, is a trouble. I mean, it's no, he's not somebody you can bank on to win a season. Then you have Gunnar Jaka, who might lead the club at the end of the season. He has definitely. Up front, yeah. I know Arsenal fans are gaga over Jesus, but I don't think Jesus can be your centerpiece of a number nine striker. He has to be part of a trio which has to keep scoring. I personally don't think. I'm not saying they can't win the league, but I don't think they will be in as dominant a position as they were. Mm-hmm. Again, as I said, 20 games gone, 53 out of 60. That point total is the stuff of legends, and I don't think they will be this close. I mean. Oh. But then look at the positive, right? You have Saliba, you have you know Bukayo Saka, you have Odegaard. I'm sure they will no, get more better. No, I think they're a good team, better. but I yeah. think there's a huge difference between between you know becoming a staple top four team and being leading the pep team by such a big margin. I I don't I really don't see them having such a. And I think I don't know. I personally don't think they'll be in a position like this. Uh, As I say, it remains to be. It seen. remains to be seen. <laughs> but moving on to the award of the player of the season. Imam, so let's just say one, two, three, and let's just say who we each think. 
So player of the season goes to one, two, three. Erling Haaland. 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 He's a big Norwegian lad. Roy Keane tried to kill his dad. Haaland. <laughs> yeah. There's no debates over here, right? Yeah, First season in English football, broke records. Thirty-six goals this season. Shearer's record out of the window. Ronaldo's record out of the window. Forty-two game Premier League record. Uh, when the season used to be forty-two games, he has shattered that record. There's still one game remaining. He might score a hat trick and you know, or score a brace and have thirty-eight and thirty-eight, thirty-eight games. He might not even play. <laughs> That's the beauty or of his score. He might not even yeah. play, and he'll still be comfortable. But what has been remarkable about Erling Haaland this season is, firstly, thirty-six goals obviously speaks volumes about itself. Even if you take away the seven penalties, it's still twenty-nine goals. He's far ahead of. Um, Harry Kane. So in the goals part, he's there, but it's also been about his performances in the big games, right? The hat trick against Manchester United, the the uh, he scored. He had a goal and an assist against Newcastle in the two fixtures. I think apart from Liverpool and Brentford, he's pretty much scored once against at least all the opposition. So and even in the second half of the season, right? He scored eleven goals, but where his goals have gone down, maybe his assists have gone up. He has had five assists, so he's been there consistent and. After Rodri, he started the most number of games for City. Also this season, he has played thirty-five games. He has had thirty-three starts. He's truly the linchpin of this Pep Guardiola team, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, the way he started, if you remember, initially, uh, I think it was a Community Shield game where he missed a couple of sitters yes. and people were like, "He's done." Then he started the season really well. And then just pr- prior to the World Cup, he kind of dropped in form, and there were conversations. Mm-hmm. I remember people were saying that, "Hey, is Pep squad? Yeah, is Pep squad better without him?" And even I maybe kind of believe that that is true because Pep's squad, ne- Pep's team never had a number nine, you know, big striker. Uh, but of course, he's proved us all wrong. Come back post the World Cup, been in absolute scintillating form, and is a little bit of a freak in just the way he is, his attitude, his aura. Even opposition teams don't really hate him. He doesn't have yes. that, you know, a little bit like for example, a Bruno Fernandez who's moaning, who's always trying to get referees on his side. He doesn't do any of that. Exactly. Just does his thing, waves his hair around. And makes football really entertaining, of course. So this should this award is clearly for him. And I think one of the key things which defines a marquee player, a player who calling up the player of the season, is how this player performs in big games. And City this game beat Arsenal right both times. I think two, uh, three one they beat Arsenal at Emirates and they beat Arsenal four one at the Etihad. And that first game right at the Emirates. If you remember, Haaland was not in great form going in that game. City didn't have a great game, but how instrumental Haaland was in putting that pressure on Arsenal, especially in the second half, right? Because we remember the uh, De Bruyne scored the opener, but then Arsenal dominated the game, got a goal in the first half. But second half, City started going long to Haaland. They started seeing the dividends. He created that pressure and he scored that decisive goal. And after that, Haaland again got back into that scoring spree. And then in that second game. Uh, at the Etihad, right, which was a must-win game for both Arsenal and City. Actually, he became the playmaker for De Bruyne. He dropped deep, held up the ball, released uh, De Bruyne once, put up that beautiful lob uh, for Bernardo to score the second goal, and then ended up scoring. So again, against Arsenal, three goals, two assists, clutch games. If that does not convince you that Erling Haaland is for real and is a big game player, then I don't know what you can say. With him being the player of the season. Is there anybody else in our mind who can take away the award for transfer of the season? I think if you look at the top half of the um, table, definitely Haaland is the transfer of the season for me as well. A little bit of bias towards maybe a Casemiro because he's made so much difference for Man United, 
Uh, but yeah, Man United has just won the Carling Cup and qualified for the Champions League. While Erling Haaland has, is on his way to win the Champions League, probably the FA Cup. And of course, the Premier League is already in the bag. So Haaland is for me. You also maybe have to look at the other side of the table. Maybe Nottingham Forest, a new team, spent so much money on so many different players. Some of them did make a minor difference. I, not more than Morgan Gibbs-White. Um, he's had a topsy-turvy season. They paid £36 million for him. He's a highly rated English uh, young player, but didn't really perform for Wolves. So a lot of eyebrows were raised when, you know, they paid so much for him. But he's really made a difference for him, for that team to kind of move out of the uh, relegation zone. So a uh, shout-out for him as well. But of course, let's both agree, it has to be Erling Haaland. Exactly. I mean, call it just because of the release clause in his contract at Borussia Dortmund which was close to I think 70 million euros if I'm not wrong and yeah 70 million euros for, this for a generational talent Bargain. even before I mean yeah it, it was between him and Mbappe the, the most let's say valued players in the world along with Vinicius Jr and if you're getting Erling Haaland for 70 million euros compared to the astronomical sums involved with anything Kylian Mbappe it was a bargain and hands down transfer of the season uh, moving on to a contentious section, we come to the manager of the season. Uh, so, who are our contenders, Ayusha? Everything in the Premier League has to begin with Manchester City. So, Pep Guardiola definitely a contender. Mikel Arteta has to be a contender because nobody expected Arsenal to be here after they okay, bottled their secured fourth place finish last year and missed out on the Champions League. They lost out to Tottenham. Then we have to talk about Eddie Howe, who's just transformed Newcastle into a top four club now. And they see it seems like they will be there now. Eric Ten Hag, obviously, after the disaster which was Manchester United, an absolute tar crash last season. Deserby has to be there in the conversation because of simply the flair which he has introduced to Brighton. Not only not 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 to mention the fact that they'll now have European football next year. And finally, Unai Emery. I think one of the most stellar interims, mid-season takeovers by a manager uh, and the best mid-season turnaround we have seen from a team probably apart from Leicester City when they were 20th at Christmas and escaped relegation by the end of the season. So, so we are going to judge them on consistency, we are going to judge them on the improvement from last season and also the resources they were provided and then the achievement after that. And I think last factors are going to be something, of, something which is probably qualitative where you know, according to us, we have to say what to us seems like a tougher job because mm. sometimes you cannot have the money and still you might improve a couple of positions. But let's say, you know, for a team which finished third, maybe getting to the top of the Premier League table might be a tougher job. So there are a couple of other factors, but yeah, let's start him. I'm sure three to one, let's just say who is our uh, manager of the season and, you know, uh, we will go from there, okay? So three, two, one. Eddie Howe. <laughs> okay, first for you for you is Deserby. For me it's Eddie Howe. But let's quickly we'll get to these contenders, but let's quickly go through the people who according to us are not there. So why not Pep Guardiola? I think he obviously Man City has been a team which has developed for the last few seasons. He's already done it with the team. It has to be refreshing the team, just making sure he has the resources in terms of people who need to achieve the goals, which he can do given the amount of money that he has. So maybe not that much of a big deal for him to win the Premier League. And obviously, I mean, we are not saying that winning the Premier League is easy or Pep is not a great manager. He's probably the greatest manager on this list. But yeah, they had the resources to get 
possibly the best striker in the world right now. They got the best striker in the world. They got 36 goals out of him. They probably have the best playmaker, and not to mention that entire support cast. Not necessarily support, but you get it right. Everybody else who provides solidity. So I mean, what Pep does has become norm for us, and this is not so much as a wow as much as it's like this is what Pep does. Yeah, we expect this from. Yeah. Eric Ten Hag, honestly, fantastic job that he's done this season. Thank Let's you. not forget <laughs> the way the season began with absolute car crashes again at Brighton, uh, Liverpool. Not to mention the humiliation at the Manchester derby, the whole Ronaldo saga, the exit interview with Piers Idiot Morgan. And amongst all of this and the ownership troubles, Ten Hag has completely transformed this club. Not to mention again what happened last season between Rangnick and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Simansu, as a United fan, why have you not voted for Eric Ten Hag? I think in terms, especially of- when the United fans <laughs> were absolutely uh, pissed off when he was not even included in the shortlist. I mean, I really love that what he's done to the club for sure. As a United fan, I'd love to have him as a manager of the season. But then again, if you think about it. Uh, as united fans seven nil defeats to liverpool six goal defeats to man city are are just not acceptable for me it's something he should have probably done better and not just that the resources he was given which close to 200 million euros spent on casemiro anthony and lisandro martinez who have always who in my opinion have been good players but struggling to finish to a fourth position and then going into an fa cup final with not much how do you say not being favorites I think he could have done a little bit better given the resources, but obviously there are a lot of unfortunate things which happened which were not under his control. Uh, but yeah, not not the one for me. I mean, I agree. I mean, I'm also been a big big fan of Ten Hag in terms of I think, but I would agree with you is he's barely taken Manchester United what to what should be the bare minimum, and I think we'll truly find out what he's made of next season when teams have also understood the way Manchester United play. And now next season he'll have to improve upon this, and if he can do it or not will be his, yeah, his true test. I mean, even if he wins the FA mm-hmm. Cup, I would still say that. As I, I think we have mentioned it before, right? He's merely plugged the holes. He's not yet, I think, built a foundation to see. And again, if Anthony, you and I both agree, the valuation on him at least is, is something which begs into question. It's not necessarily the best utilization of funds. Let's say. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's the United structure more probably prevented Ten Hag to for being Ten Hag, but next season he's one of those remains to be seen managers. I see. We'll and see especially considering happens. the job all the other people on this list have done. Right. So yeah, I think Ten Hag, the transformation has not been impressive as every other club on this list. And then we move on to Arteta. Why not Arteta? I wish. Before this podcast, my gut feeling, the feeling in my heart. It was for Mikel Arteta. Maybe it's sympathy now, considering that Arsenal have bottled the league, so now I can start feeling bad for them because when they were leading, I was absolutely pissed off. As I said, as I you know we said in the intro of the nominees, to come to where Arsenal were this season, after losing to Tottenham and bottling what was a secure Champions League finish, I think is truly phenomenal. And I don't think any other manager in the league, or anybody would have predicted at the at the start of the season with this squad, even with the signings he made, which I think Arsenal were brilliant in the transfer market with Zinchenko, with Zinchenko, uh, with Saliba, uh, with Jesus. But remember, Jesus were not there for most of the season to adapt with uh, with Keita, to do all of that. I think simply to be from fifth last season and being so far, being a soft team to being a team which for majority of the season was strong, compact. And absolutely fluid football again. Fifty three points in the first sixty games. All of that, I think, just makes him probably the person I would put second on this list for the manager of the season. 
I think the transformation was uh, truly, truly phenomenal. And it's not only just that. Let's look at the way, you know, he's, he's developed players. Like from protect, players who were, you know, rising stars. I think he has established Bukayo Saka now as a legit Premier League star. Martinelli had the season of his life. Again, he adapted without... Uh, he adopted without uh, uh, Jesus with Keita. He improved Granit Xhaka so much. Ben White came into this formidable player. So it's also so many players, you know, who he improved. Because let's face it, Arsenal going into the season was still a team of potential. And he realised the potential with a lot of these players. And the reason he doesn't make it is because at the end of the day, he has won nothing. And none of this matters. <laughs> I think to me, it's not even the fact you know, that he's not won nothing. I think it's just the way it all capitulated, you know. If, if this 80 point, you know, if it was spread, if the performance was even across the season, I would, it would have felt less harsh. But the fact that this team collapsed so badly was symptomatic of what has happened to Arsenal in dif- over the past couple of seasons. Sometimes in the race for top four, sometimes in derby games. So it's like he fixed it, but those vulnerabilities are still there. Talking about vulnerabilities in the Arsenal team, we move on to Unai Emery. Why not Unai Emery, Ayush? We don't need to talk about Emery and the job, the brilliant job that he's done. Uh, we came in, Aston Villa was 17th in the league. They are now 8th in the league. This is their best league position. If I'm not wrong, in 14 years, I think we have to go back all the way to 2009-2010 when uh, Martin O'Neill, for people who weren't watching football back then, took Aston Villa to three uh, to hat-trick of 6th uh, positions in the league. John Carew and Gabriel Legbon Lahore used to be, you know... The uh, legendary the, strikers. The legendary strikers of this team. <laughs> Highest position in 14 years. Uh, Got Ollie Watkins back in form, firing, McGinn playing the game, absolute football of his life, Ramsey. So there are a couple of these players, I think, who's brilliant. He's plugged the gaps, picked up important wins against uh, Manchester United, also against Arsenal, if I'm not wrong. So an absolute transformation. The only reason that I'm saying he's not for me there is, in spite of the remarkable turnaround from 17 to 8th, is I think he came in in game 17 and I just cannot give the manager of the season award to somebody who's been there, you know, for barely half a season. It's like giving Thomas Tuchel the best manager award, even though he won Chelsea the Champions League, he came in halfway through the season, you know, so you can't give, I just feel you have to prove yourself across a season to be able to get that award. What are your thoughts? I mean, yeah, I agree, but of course, it's it's also a tougher challenge because he came in in like at a point where Steven Gerrard had completely like you know, signed them on to relegation and he's done such a good job post that. So, hats off to him. But you're right, it's too little data to kind of act upon. If he does well next season, then that's something a uh, show in for, you know, manager of the year, especially because Aston Villa don't have the resources uh, to support him as an Arsenal did uh, back in the day. So, let's see what Unai Emery can and do. And again, just to make it clear, it's not like he hasn't done a fantastic job, just that right. for this award, he misses out because... Other contenders have proved themselves for more number of games. He'll be really disappointed. Pints of football if he doesn't make it to this one. But yeah, he has a chance next year. to show the middle finger. (laughs) And then we move on to our points of difference. First of all, now that you mentioned Unai Emery was not manager for the entire season, justify your choice of Deserby being your manager of the season this year. He deserves it, I have to say. I mean, you can hear it from the words of... (laughs) <laughs> you can hear it from the words of Pep Guardiola himself. He's he's really been um, the most influential manager this season in how in the different tactics that he's brought about. They're not even names and like you know things you can call these strategies which he's using at Brighton yet. Uh, very modern football. He's always inventive. He's trying out different things, and it's not easy to take up 
firstly a, a good shop that you know uh, what's his name who was who was their manager before I just failed to recall oh say it for him uh, say it for the him the bad potter <laughs> not 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 harry the other potter yeah so potter. the one without any magic <laughs> i mean without he, any spells whatever you say he's done he had done a decent job but of course to take over from him when the squad was having a few internal issues with the way trossard was acting moving on trossard who was an excellent player who scored a hat-trick against liverpool that was this season for brighton moving him on to arsenal then having a few issues with caicedo who wanted to move to arsenal as well and not starting a couple of games if i remember right he was benched because of this yeah. disciplinary issues i mean he did all these things and still got brighton to 62 points which was a crazy improvement he they scored 71 goals which is more than united and newcastle this season more and than Newcastle. Chelsea. <laughs> Uh, let's not have that in the conversation this entire episode this is our end of season awards man come on i mean of course if we speak about the women's football league they're number one so maybe we'll yes. bring them in a bit later but yeah so that's 29 more goals than what potter did last season and potter is considered to be a decent manager at brighton what he did later on is uh, let's not go there and then yeah so obviously six positions so i feel like deserby did a lot of course he came in much before unai emery i think deserby joined in what I think uh, around September. September. So it's it's a little bit earlier for him, and he's done amazing, especially the way he's beaten big teams like United. Um, it, so in my opinion, Deserby is amazing, and also a few rumors going around him that he's being considered for the Tottenham job. And what we have heard is that he doesn't want to do any other job. He's taken Brighton to a level. He thinks he can take them even higher. I I love that attitude, and let's see what he can do next season as well. I mean, all strong points for Deserby. I agree with totally with everything you say. Lost key players, swashbuckling football, absolutely swashbuckling football. Something we cannot necessarily bridge. You know, Brighton under Graham Potter, they still had that you know aura of the team which was overachieving. I mean, they still overachieve. You know, but the team which was uh, keeping things tight and punching up its weight under Deserby. Yes, they are overachieving, but it's it doesn't seem like you know they're keeping tights. It's like they're playing fully expansive football and they are. this stepping into the moment they are not playing as underdogs and i think to get that spirit in a club which he joined midway uh by the way after after the club lost such key players i think is truly truly spectacular and he's also brought in these you know south american under 18 kids to do so well like it, it's it's amazing like because they take such a long time to adapt to the premier league right and he's he's shown that they, it's he's proven that it can happen here and not maybe in a italian league or a spanish league you know people are coming in starting from the premier league which is something good to see we have youngsters in the premier league itself doing well and not just these mason greenwoods and uh, phil forts <laughs> but okay you made a strong case for deserve i'll make the case for hedia it's not a tough case yes newcastle united have gotten all the money in the world but let's face it when they got eddie how at the end of last season we remember his bournemouth team were famous for leaking goals and we were all just so and he when he came in newcastle were relegation bound last year so he saved them from relegation against the stereotypical eddie house style he has made them such a tight compact defensive unit and after last season getting them to a respectable place you know uh, in the premier league he has gotten them to such a big improvement this season right they're finishing fourth or possibly third in the league this year they have secured champions league qualification the improvement has been from 49 to 70 points that's a 21 point improvement by him and again he's proven his worth across the course of this season and again let's remember brighton are a well run club we have we've seen that over the past 2 3 years 
Newcastle have not been known to be a, a well-run club. To very quickly settle into a new ownership structure and to be able to deliver these results counts for a lot. Secondly, the main signing they made this year, Alexander Isak, who was for around £70 million if I am not wrong. They played most of the season without him and he still delivered the results. He took them to a Carling Cup final and at the end of the season, just look at the transformation of Newcastle. In spite of not spending, being necessarily heavy spenders, he's taken them right up there. So, for all of these reasons, I think Eddie Howe, to me, is the manager of the season. And I think he has dealt with dips in forms, he's dealt with injuries. He's probably played a lot of games without Alan St. Maximan this season, which shows he's not afraid to drop, you know, so-called players with flash and aura. I mean, for all of these season, I think he, he just edges out Deserby. Two reasons again. Firstly, the fact that it's been a 21-point improvement compared to, you know, Deserby uh, getting only 11 or let's say a maximum 14-point improvement. And then secondly, simply the fact that he's taken this club at the end of the day from nowhere in European football to Champions League qualification. That to me, you know, I think counts for a lot. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Eddie Howe has a show-in for the you know managers of the season, for sure. I think a lot of pundits would agree with you as well. Uh, being an English manager, there's not a lot of expectations on him. No. He's like, after what happened to Potter, you never know this. Might and especially just... when he got the Newcastle job. You remember, most of us thought he was just a place yeah. where they get a good... Uh, I think he still is. You never know if something happens. Maybe the Newcastle season. management had yeah. that in mind, but the performances that he's putting in, they can't look past him, right? And it's been a continuous improvement. I think they had a little bit of a time in between the season where it felt like teams had figured him out, but he kind of still changed. And even if you see the spends this season, right, it has been great because obviously Newcastle have the money and the right to spend it. Uh, Alexander Isak, as you said, was the the most expensive signing, but he's not played throughout the season. Exactly. Same still with to fulfill Gordon. potential. Anthony Gordon as well spent a lot of money on him high expectations but he's pacey he's hard working should get better next season or the one after that uh, Sven Botman has been amazing signing for them a uh, player who was you know a lot of European clubs were after him shows Newcastle a very good bet and is a big deal for you know making them uh, one of the best defensive sides this season uh, Nick Pope of course not too much money spent there but he's uh, been what a goalkeeper a revelation exactly so uh, good signings. What my only argument here is, he at least could make signings, summer signings like these, and Deserby could not. He just had to do with the squad he had, and lost Kukureya and Trossard. Uh, so for that reason, I would still maybe edge Deserby. But yeah, this is probably. I think this is, is fair, right? I think we can agree to disagree and be happy mm. to agree to disagree here. Right. Uh, that uh, Eddie Howe and uh, Robert Deserby are the managers of the season for pints of football. Moving on from this, let's now come to the team of the season where Ayush and I will debate on who are the players who need to occupy the formation of 4-2-3-1 in a Premier League team of the season. Now, it took a lot of time for us to even settle on this formation. So, let's see how much time it will take to settle on the players here. And just to be clear, we're not just going to pick four forwards to make them fit in our formation. We yeah, fit. we're not Sky Sports. We're going to make them play well together. Yes, we care about team coordination. We have chosen 4-2-3-1 because among all the possible combinations we had in different positions, this is the formation we felt we could fit the team into. There are some things we still disagree on as Manchu mentioned. And on those disagreements, you can let us know what you think. Yeah, we'll open it to the house. <laughs> Let's start with the goalkeeper. So, our contenders here, Ayusha, has to be firstly Nick Pope with Newcastle having the best defence of all teams in the Premier League. So, he gets a shoe in. Next, we have um, David De Gea. Well, 
he's made very sizable mistakes and mistakes which are etched in my memory for this season having said that he is already won the golden glove with two games to go this is a joke it's like ryan giggs winning premier league player of the year i mean nah, that wasn't joke. a joke amazing player but moving on from david deha the third contender and this is ayushar shwin ramsdale yeah i'm just going to pause for laughs yeah let's continue let's just straight away <laughs> kick david deha out of the conversation i think judging by judging simply by number of clean sheets is a very false is a very skewed way of looking at a goalkeeper's contribution with de gea obviously i think he's the best shot stopper in the premier league we cannot deny that time in game in and game out especially in this united team with all its weaknesses he has rescued the team uh, n number of times given given all of that i think the kind of mistakes he has made all season not only the mistakes which have led to goals but which invite pressure given the way he passes the ball out from the back takes away a lot of that shot stopping equity and, yep and so and for that reason i think de gea even though again as i mentioned the buffoons at the i want to say the pfa have given him the uh, goalkeeper of the season award or the golden glove he he is nowhere close to that conversation because of all the errors he keeps on making and has made over the years time and time again yeah but then again if you think about that then if you can't award haland for number of goals this season right it's a statistic you have to award the statistic no i am <laughs> not only awarding haland because of the number of games but also the number of assists he creates and the overall presence like you don't remember haland bubus throughout the season right there not a lot of times haland <laughs> haland has had an off day yeah. you can remember david david deya having a lot of off days and in the same manner there are proper youtube videos about him yeah but move on ramsdell for me ayusha is the same reason he has made mistakes leading to goals uh, he's an excellent shot stopper again he's actually even better at passing from the back he than david deya i think it was an inspired signing but then he's made those couple of mistakes and has uninspired performances in very crucial games for which i would say pope edges ramsdale i mean i won't say he had a lot of those performances but i think when you are leading the league every mistake you know uh, kind of gets magnified and that is where nick pope kind of gets away because when you are racing for top 4 and you are fighting for let's say third or fourth there's some you can afford to go down a position but when you are fighting for the title like you cannot the only you can either get first or you can miss out on first but yes i think the difference between pope and ramsdale is i think pope has made only one big mistake this season while with ramsdale we have seen three mistakes this season and i think that is the difference between the two goalkeepers so yes when this began i was edging with ramsdale but i have had to go with pope as you mentioned a very little error and amongst all of this we have not included ederson because yes city haven't conceded a lot of goals but Let's face it. When you're the Manchester City goalkeeper, there's not a lot that you uh, have to do. <laughs> have to worry about in defense. Correct. Uh, so there we have it. Pope uh, Gareth Southgate, by the way, doesn't agree with us. He's even left him out of the squad for uh, the upcoming national team games. Maybe we are missing something, but that's the pines of opinion football. Our goalkeeper is Nick Pope. We move on to defense. We start with right back. Who, who are our contenders, Aish? I think our contenders have to be again Ben White. I don't think he'll ever be in the conversation for the team of the season but this season he's been absolutely stellar and some of the games that he's been injured I think Arsenal have missed him Kyle Walker again the nightclub incident aside and uh, the fact that he was not consistent throughout the season but he's come in really handy for City in this run into the end uh, but then we have Moises Caicedo uh, he's traditionally a defensive midfielder but he's fit into right back whenever Brighton wanted him and he's been excellent at right back as well 
probably won't be at Brighton next season, but he's done his job. And then we have Kieran Trippier. Uh, coming from Atletico Madrid, he took a big risk going to Newcastle like at the stage that they were at. And now he's the captain of the team. Uh, so for me, and I think, Aisha, you would agree as well, right back is... Firstly, our first two players happen to be Newcastle players because they have been excellent at defence and we start from defence. So, Trippier for right-back? Yeah, absolutely. I think Kieran Trippier, his defensive qualities aside, the leadership that he's provided to Newcastle over the past 18 months, the fact that his uh, crosses, his corners, his free kicks, there's so, so much he adds, you know, uh, from, uh, from in an attacking way and he's so lethal from these dead ball opportunities also. I think all around, I think it makes him uh, a shoe-in for the right-back of the season and he's just such an important cog in that Newcastle team so complete full hats off to him there's a reason you've not included uh, Akanji over here because he's not first of all played all of the games the entire season he's not always necessarily played at right-back he's played at left-back he's played at centre-back so for all of those reasons Akanji there's just a mention out to him but yeah Kieran Trippier hands down moving on to centre-back if we're talking about the right-footed centre-back that's how technical we are <laughs> and so after a lot of discussion, I think we could come out with only two nominees, right? One was Fabian Schaar. Uh, apologies if we are mispronouncing his name. And the second has to be John Stones. Between the two of them, Imam Shu, who do you think um, gets a shoe in? Because Shah has played 30-plus games, while Mr. Stones has started around, I think, 22 games or 23 games? Yeah, if you look at the rest of the squad, which we'll come to eventually, I think we need a defender who will play out from the back. And for me, that is John Stones. He's also, of course, been excellent for Man City in, the, in terms of how adaptable he's been in the role. He's also slotted into midfield in certain games. For that reason, Stones over Shah. But of course, Shah has had an excellent season, uh, but just doesn't have the technical expertise that Stones does. Now that we're talking about Stones, you know, pushing into midfield, maybe that's where Pep Guardiola stole the inspiration of pushing Trent Alexander-Arnold into midfield. Oh, sorry, not Pep Guardiola. I think that's where Jurgen Klopp stole the inspiration for moving Trent Alexander-Arnold into midfield. But I agree with you. Even though Stones has start, played barely two-thirds of the season for Manchester City, he's come back, he's redefined the position for himself, he's stepped up bravely into the centre of the pitch, sometimes reaching as far as the, open, uh, the opposition's box. And he definitely fits into this uh, centre-back position. Moving on to the left-sided centre-back, I think our nominees after a lot of deliberation, Ruben Diaz, uh, Sven Botman, Saliba, and at Himamsu's insistence, I have had to mention and waste your precious few seconds on Lisandro Martinez. I'd love Lisandro Martinez to be definitely the winner at this position. Just because he's a left-footed centre-back and he'll probably be very useful playing up, playing from the back. Having said that, it's also because how poor the United team has been and how much you require a left-footed centre-back to play out from the back as against having Harry Maguire last season. Maybe that's why I'm feeling he's that good. But of course, he's had a good season, but there have been games where, like, you know, when we lost 7 to Liverpool, where we have considered six goals against City, where he's played as well. So, for that reason, I am agreeing to drop his name. That's, uh, that's my point. I think <laughs> when you're talking about Player defenders the in the yeah. team of the season, you mm-hmm. just simply cannot have those defensive collapses that we have seen Manchester United have this season in some really critical games. But yes, fair play to him. I think given his height, which was a red flag for a lot of people, he's adapted beautifully to the league. And I think he has proven that gems come in small packets. But still, he's not big enough of a gem to be in the Premier League team of the season. Next, we have Saliba, who's obviously been a crucial player for Arsenal. But he's missed out on a lot of games for Arsenal, which were very crucial for them. 
and they had to fit in holding at this point which kind of is which where held them the back really <laughs> and holding really... tried to hold off Haaland but holding couldn't hold off Haaland yeah that's a tongue twister for you but yeah i think saliba would have probably made it to the team of the season if he's played the entire season he did not uh, so we move on from saliba to i think it's to... between uh, diaz and sven botman yep botman again newcastle best defensive season hence uh, botman and botman came in with so much expectations this season considering he had been a talked about player for such a long time and i think he's adapted beautifully to the league mm. and again what newcastle have achieved this season has been truly spectacular and then ruben diaz not a lot needs to be said about diaz uh again part of manchester city beautiful team won the league i mean there's not a lot we can talk about diaz i think last season was kind of an off season for him uh compared to how uh, compared to the year when uh, city lost his first season in the league i think he was stellar last season he had on and off times and that's amazing considering last season also city won the league <laughs> But this season, he's seemed to come into his... He's come back to his own usual form. I think he's been more commanding than what he was in the first season. But my... I think I still have to go with Sven Botman. I think he started 32 or 33 games for Newcastle this season. Super consistent. Super consistent. Always there. Keeps and a again, low profile. You know, doesn't do anything weird in the game. Just like keeps a low profile. Does kind of like job. Batman, you know. <laughs> so what I did there. And, but that's the point. I think as, as Newcastle, you also have to face more as a defender. And I think that's where... Botman, I think he's more of a defender than what Ruben Diaz is. And I think also Stones and Botman together will be a yeah. good defensive pair where, you know, uh, Stones can move up the pitch and maybe Botman and Trippier can uh, plug the gap behind him. So, that's where I think we both agree. Right. Botman! Yeah, we're going to cut those parts and edits. Next, we move on to the left-back position where, again, there was quite a lot of argument because I had to side with United. So, first contender being Luke Shaw. Didn't have a lot of injuries this season, surprisingly. Didn't have a lot of time off with injuries. And he's had to adapt both in the left-sided centre-back role as well as the left-back role. Uh, when Lisandro Martinez was missing and Harry Maguire was too stupid to play there. Uh, we have Nathan Ake, who's fitted into the left-back role very well for Man City. Uh, then we have Zinchenko, who's, of course, been an excellent signing for Arsenal. Having said that, he's, yeah, we'll come to a little bit of his negatives as well. Uh, An estupian, lastly. Estupinian, just a fit in. A little bit of a inspired option from Pines of Football. Also, Gary Neville's pick for the left back for the, you know, player of the, uh, for the team of the season as well. So, estupinian, of course, he's come into the Premier League for the first time, adapted really well, done a lot of good things. He's had, I think, around nine, eight or nine goal contributions. He's also had to fit into uh, left midfield, at times, so he's been very adaptive to whatever Deserbi has asked him to do. So, good for Estupinian. Why I'd say probably not player, I mean, for the for our player, or for the team of the season. Team of the season is because there are slightly better options in that, like, Ake has done so well, having been asked to play the left-back role. And he's been he's come from, you know, teams which are poor in terms of defence, like Bournemouth, right? And from he, Chelsea. Yeah, and Chelsea as well, I guess. Uh, I mean, he was uncalled for. <laughs> and then there's Zinchenko. So Zinchenko was probably going to make it to our left back, but then in the last few matches where he had to show leadership, what did he do, Aisha? I think, again, made those silly errors. He was directly responsible uh, for conceding two clear goals for Arsenal. And I think you simply cannot be doing that at, at, at the crunch part of the season. You, I simply think you can't be doing that and on the other hand, we saw nothing of that sort from uh, Ake. There were, I think, a couple of games where he was forced to play a centre-back also. 
but majority of the season he's been on the left side of the park and he's just been so beautiful he's been so consistent again not very flashy but when the situation has called for him to be that man behind the relish to receive the ball to create some of those spaces he's been there always and overall i think he's he's this is a, this is just the beginning for him i think and there have been couple of problems city's defense in the first part of the season but nathan ake was one of those reasons and for and that's precisely why i think ake has to start at left back at the end of the day you have to be able to defend and you have to be able to be bankable and i think ake have offers much more than what zinchenko offers defensively zinchenko is primarily known for stepping into midfield and that was also his usp at city there has been a lot of time i think for ukraine he was playing almost he was literally playing as a left sided midfielder right but i think ake for me is a much more natural fit at left back and that's why uh, he has You're to going with ake right so our defense or to just summarize this tripier stones botman and nathan ake moving to the center of the uh, pitch are two let's say central defensive midfielders the two pivots so we, firstly the one who sits at the back the number 6 position here would have our contenders being rodri casemiro and uh, douglas lewis so, so let's so, start with the number 3 clearly the number 3 here would be douglas lewis Aston Villa, of course, had a very disappointing start with the Liverpool legend himself, you know, taking the club down. But Douglas Lewis has been one of those players that Unai Emery can rely upon. Obviously, he's uh, come from the Man City team. He's uh, had a little bit of pedigree in terms of that. He's very good going forward. He has a good long shot, good free kick, etc. But also does his job defensively. So Douglas Lewis is a shoe in uh, for the number three position probably in this part. uh we had a little bit of a fight for deciding who would be uh the number 1 and i lost so casemiro is number 2 here did very well for united but that's the thing did very well for united maybe wouldn't fit into so well into other teams and he had a lengthy layoff through a uh, multiple times that he got sent off this season and rodri has fit into this position so well having to make those tackles having to score those extraordinary goals for man city and having to just be so reliable in the center of midfield by casemiro has had that tackle in him which would get him sent off i think i think rodri has built a reputation for scoring crucial goals and again this season as the past couple of seasons he there are very few people you know we have seen in pep guardiola city tenure at least who have been first names on the sheet this season even there are a couple of games he dropped kevin de bruyne but i think rodri over the past two seasons has never ever been dropped by uh, pep for a major game and this season again he started 36 games uh, actually played 36 games he started 34 games being consistent crucial goals such ca- calmness he exudes and be such an important pivot in front of that defense and he allowed everybody around him to express himself right i think at the end the end of the day a modern day central defensive midfielder especially the guy who is the pivot his job is not only you know uh, to provide cushion to the defense but is also to make people around him look better and i think rodri uh does that beautifully something roy keane would be really really proud of next we go to the number 8 position uh in this pivot role we have three candidates gundogan mcallister and guimarish so here of course gundogan has always come into play in the second half of every man city season somehow to rescue their season and remember i think was it the covid season where uh, i think he scored in 10 straight games i think he scored in 10 right. or 11 games of the false nine right i mean excellent to be honest he's very adaptable man city's captain as well which many people tend to forget uh, it seems to be his last season in man city we'll see how that goes 
has an excellent season but then we look at another contender guimarez so of course for newcastle he is their marquee player i would say the most exciting player in the entire squad in and not only of, you know just a uh, person who acts as a protection but again that leader he he's voiceiferous he provides that energy he has that tenacity and clearly when the game sees not there newcastle do struggle i think around the carling cup final i think he was right, gone for he was red carded right? yeah and not i'm not saying newcastle would have won with uh, gilmarez but uh, without him they obviously see a team which genuinely struggles so that's uh, number 2 candidate and <laughs> very surprisingly we have one that we have agreed to here a uh, brighton's mcallister of course a world cup winning mcallister i would say as well he's had an excellent season he scored 10 goals he's had a couple of assists as well to add to it he's of course had like his hand in penalties etc but brighton has been an amazing team uh, done really well and mcallister has a lot to do with it, it and he's he has it's almost like he's running with four or three or four pairs of lungs right i mean that there's running very hard working and skillful which is and i think like, imamshu with gilmaris i think yeah those red cards he's been he's been away from a couple of games I think he also offers probably a bit less going forward compared to let's say McAllister Gundogan. So for us the choice was down between Gundogan and McAllister, right? So uh, explain to to our listeners why have we chosen McAllister specifically over Ilkay? Yeah, for Brighton I just feel McAllister is a much more crucial player. Gundogan is as good as he is a kind of replaceable you can play so many other Man City players in that position and still get a result I'd feel. But without McAllister Brighton would really suffer. and hence for us mcallister in that team with lesser resources has been a absolute star maybe you know this is kind of a romantic choice for us but i think then football without romanticism you know is just a game of just money and pure stats so i think we have to go with mcallister and again slightly more number of goals than gundogan and i know we are talking only about the premier league team of the season but McAllister did prove his worth also at the biggest stage which was the World Cup and he was just so crucial for Messi to just roam around the pitch and score a bunch of penalties that's your controversy <laughs> of the episode but yeah McAllister is our choice oh wait wait oh my again i'm also i've lost my chain of thought Bayern Munich have somehow ended up winning their 11th Bundesliga title for those of you who are not watching this game so yes Dortmund were losing 2-0 at home and Bayern were winning 1-0 and then bayern were drawing one all which meant again that dortmund were having the league in their in their grip it was by right a there point by a point in spite of losing shamefully at home and then we had an aguero moment and this was by 18 19 year old jamal mursiala who came on as a substitute thomas tuchel for some reason does not play mursiala in the starting lineup and mursiala comes on and he scores in the 88th minute and he what a goal a goal and out of nowhere at least the aguero goal had people involved mursiala got the ball he did a 360 and just shot into the far right hand side bottom corner and i think bayern munich are now going to go ahead and win this bundesliga truly i mean i know in the beginning of the episode we said probably the position of choker keeps on switching between these two teams but i think we can safely say that when it comes to bottling and when it comes to choking it's not south africa in cricket it's not tottenham in football it's not arsenal in football it is borussia dortmund every time they are given a chance to beat bayern munich and we move on to the exciting part of our premier league team of the season before we do the midfield right those three people which we know we are going to disagree on let's talk about the striker one line erling haaland anything 
No, no disagreements there. Erling Haaland is our striker. Should we mention Martial? Okay, never mind. So, <laughs> so we stick with Haaland there. Okay, now moving on to the three. There's the one name we have agreed on, right? Over here. We have absolutely agreed on. Let's just get the name out of the way. Odegaard. I was, okay. All right. We have agreed okay. on, right? Odegaard. Yeah. No matter who the other players are. No, for all the United fans watching, I did push for Rashford. But then, uh, the way we are playing is not with a traditional winger apparently. So, we'll have to go with Odegaard and then do a little bit and of... I'm a, sorry, Rashford has also been missing for crucial parts of the season. <laughs> and in spite of his goal-scoring form, which was there until mid-February, I think he has fizzled out a bit towards the end of the season. Again, injuries have played a role. But team of the season, I'm sorry, I don't think... I, Rashford is a worthy mention. He would be on the bench. He would be my first sub to come on the left-hand side of the pitch. But Rashford will not start for the Premier League. And I am not coaching this team with Odegaard on the left-wing side. But of course, Odegaard, I have Again, to say... as have a, to be a winger. <laughs> has been amazing for Arsenal. Very crucial. And Remember, uh, our manager of the season, either Eddie Howe or Deserby, they won't, don't play with proper wingers, right? They play with people who can interconnect with the forwards. Odegaard fits there. Alright. Yeah, and Odegaard has game IQ. Rashford has running IQ. That's the difference. Okay, let's agree with... mention to Rashford, I think fantastic. He was usually responsible for uh, whatever United have achieved this season. Yeah, so for all United fans, I tried my best and we move on. Uh, so we move on to the other side on the right wing. Uh, here, a couple of arguments to be made as well. Let's just sum up this argument properly, right? We have two positions left. We have the traditional number 10 position. And then we have the right-hand side. We're calling it the right wing, but call it the right-hand side of the midfield, right? Because in the 4-2-3-1, we are here. So... All the confusion is coming down because I truly believe that the unsung hero of this season is Harry Kane. In spite of everything that has gone on at Tottenham, Harry Kane has scored 29 goals this season. Harry Kane can drop back. Harry Kane without pace can score the goal on a counter-attack. Harry Kane can run between the lines. Harry Kane can do everything. And therefore, I feel Harry Kane has to start in that number 10 position. And, and on the right-hand side, we can have a debate about Kevin De Bruyne and Bukayo Saka. Okay, for if we just stick to the right side, right wing, then I have to go with Saka in this place. I am not going with KDB playing on the wing. I'll have to play with Saka. Saka has been excellent this season. Has scored very crucial goal for Arsenal. Very crucial for Arsenal to be where they are at this season. And he'll probably be a star for England as well. And we discussed this in an episode of our podcast as well, Bukayo Saka. Is a Premier League, you know, probably a future uh, Hall of Famer as well. So, for me, it's Bukayo Saka. Also, because he's been so good this season. Physically, left-footed, perfect for the right-wing goal. So, you're basically dropping KDB for Harry Kane, right? And number 10? No. Here, this is where we probably disagree until the end of the podcast. For me, it should be a traditional number 10. Especially the way he played against Arsenal uh, in the game. It'd be KDB for me. But Ayusha has a different opinion. I think honestly, I think first of all, I'll, I'll put myself out there. I don't think KDB had a great first half of the season. I think he had fantastic games against Arsenal. I genuinely think Kevin De Bruyne is the greatest midfielder to play in the history of the Premier League. And the only player I probably put next to him is Frank Lampard simply because of Lampard's goal-scoring abilities. But I think KDB is probably right up there, greatest or second greatest according to me. But I think this season... Harry came, those 29 goals, I really feel amongst all the drama that went on at Tottenham, everybody just ignored what Kane was achieving in a, in, in a subpar side, more this season than any other season. I think just imagine Saka, KDB and Odegaard, sorry, Kane and Odegaard, you're going to see just 
this team has so many goals and i think the people behind we have mentioned right rodri mcallister they can provide so much cover with trippier with ake again you have so much defensive surety that this these these three uh, the this three or rather this four players up front i think they can make a lot of a difference i really think harry kane has to be there at number 10 position and while we are at it right i would put oh my god it's so difficult to say between kdb and saka but okay saka has to be there i think for this team to play well there has to be that threatening player beating player on the right hand side of the pitch so i think yeah i think uh, saka has to be there himanshu is pointing to my sheet saying bruno fernandes mention bruno fernandes as an honorable mention i actually could not understand your handwriting <laughs> i totally forgot when mentioned him but yeah bruno fernandes again for united fans community say strong uh, we have to have bruno fernandes in this conversation he's just so inventive uh but of course in the argument of He's me very inventive time wasting you know when we are winning 3-0 at the end of 92 minutes i'll send bruno to cry at the referee but just for me to save this team and not have kane in number 10 position i like to put kdb and then sacrifice my love for bruno fernandes okay so i think that is our team of the season so just to cap it off goalkeeper nick pope our defenders kieran trippier john stones swen botman Nathan Ake our two uh, pivots in midfield Rodri and McAllister our forward Erling Brott Haaland and then Himamshu's midfielders Odegaard Kevin De Bruyne and Bukayo Saka and my midfielders the invention the innovation and the next phase in Harry Kane's career as the number 10 with Odegaard and Bukayo Saka Kevin De Bruyne with a heavy heart you are my first choice substitute That is it. That is our Premier League team of the season. We close off this episode with the game of the season. Himanshu, what according to you was the game of the season this year? I know what your pick is, so I'm going for the other one for me. I, it, it, it has to. It has to be a game where both teams had a good chance of winning the game and really push it to the end. And for me, it's a Liverpool Tottenham game. And all the drama. Uh, Liverpool were winning three nil. I think at fifteen uh, minutes of three three goals up. and this was similar to the tottenham game uh, to the tottenham newcastle game i think before that where yeah, newcastle were down 4-0 in 15 20 minutes. minutes yeah that was crazy as well uh, but yeah so that happened and then tottenham actually fought back to their credit uh, they came back 3-3 and then we had the celebrate where you know uh, what's his face richarlison took off his shirt did the pigeon dance did every celebration on earth only for his brazilian teammate lucas moura to give off the ball to jota in the last minute jota scoring Klopp getting a hamstring by celebrating in front in front of the referee, and then Liverpool winning four three. This was for me the game of the season. And then Klopp almost I think also getting a suspension after the game, right? Why for complaining about the referees? Which eventually led led to United qualifying because he's not on the sidelines and no, not not cheering up Liverpool. Okay, yeah, I'm sure that was the reason, not the <laughs> terrible start that Liverpool had. The Liverpool had at the beginning of the season, but I think that has to be the game of the season. As you know, I as a true neutral, I was pushing for Liverpool versus Manchester United seven nil. I think that truly was the game of the season. Uh, but Himanshu obviously didn't agree with it, and I think a mention has to go out to a game which a lot of us have probably overlooked. But it was the first game uh, at the Emirates between uh, Arsenal and Manchester City, where Arsenal played better for throughout the game, but City uh, just persevered, used Holland. and got the 3-1 victory and i think that's where the tide really turned but pep guardiola realized he could use haland as a physical threat up front could play those long balls but yeah in terms of drama in terms of emotions in terms of commotion 
and in terms of the swings in the beautiful game of football liverpool versus tottenham 4-3 has to be hands down the game of the season so there we have it our game of the season wrapped up as well and so is our 12th episode wrapped up but do let us know if you disagree i'm sure you do because the two of us disagree on so many accounts i had to um, swallow and let everything like a few of his decisions go well man united rashford and bruno fernandes i really did push for you this is our team of the season our players of the season our awards as 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 pints of football end of the year awards the first one hopefully many more to come as well and that closes our 12th episode just because this is the season ending awards does not mean pints of football stops we'll be back next week we'll discuss manchester city charge for the treble what himamshu feels uh, about this considering united have been the only team in the history of english football to complete a treble and after that obviously we will be discussing also city versus inter milan in the champions league final pints of football is going nowhere even if the season ends please do follow us uh, on instagram continue to engage with us like share comment spread the word about the show you spreading the word is the only way that we can grow until then see you